Welcome to the New York State Bar Association's Miranda Warnings. For all things legal and some that aren't, I'm Dave Miranda, past president of the New York State Bar Association and partner at the intellectual property law firm of Hesslin, Rothenberg, Farley, and Mercedes. On this week's Miranda Warnings, we welcome Hillary Jockmans, the president of Jockmans Consulting in Washington, D.C. Welcome, Hillary. Thank you. Nice to be here. Yeah, great to have you, Hillary. Uh, Jockman's Consulting is a lobbying business in Washington. Uh, prior to uh, working as uh, president of Jockman's Consulting, Hillary was the director of the New York State Governor's Office in Washington, where she served as the governor's liaison for Governor Cuomo, Governor Patterson, and Governor Spitzer, uh, working with the congressional leadership and the New York congressional delegation and federal agencies in Washington on behalf of the state of New York. And we're very pleased that Hillary also serves as chair of the New York State Bar Association's Committee on Federal Legislative Priorities. So thank you very much, Hillary, for for being here on Miranda Warnings to talk about a little bit about your impressions of the 116th Congress, and then we'll talk a little bit about the New York State Bar Association's federal agenda so, Hillary, we've got a, a new Congress that started in, in January of 2019. How have things been different uh, in, in Congress since uh, we now have a Democratic majority? Well, thank you, David, for having me here. This is great. Uh, I appreciate the opportunity and nice to connect with other NISBA listeners and others. Um, I think things have changed in D.C. for, for two reasons. One, Obviously, we had a change in party control in the House. Um, Previously, the Republicans had control both the Senate and the House and the White House. And after 20 uh, elections in November, the Democrats won control of the House representatives. Um, So obviously still not full control of the legislative body, but a a powerful force with a lot of subpoena power and things like that. Um, another way things have really changed is because of the shutdown. I mean, you saw these Democrats come in as part of the so-called blue wave in November with a lot of uh, ambitious ideas for things they wanted to tackle in, in the first hundred days. But what they also had in the first hundred days is the shutdown. And that has really changed the dynamics down here. Um, while Congress was open and running during the shutdown, they were part of uh, an appropriations that had been completed before this happened. That's why they were up and running. Um, they still have not been doing the normal things you would do at the start of a new Congress. They're just now even starting to organize their committees. They haven't really had hearings yet. Um, and normally you would expect things like that to have happened last month. I mean, they were sworn in on uh, January 2nd or 3rd. Um so it's just changed the timing a lot, and it's also changed the um, the tenor down here and sort of how people are interacting. Everyone's very hesitant. Um, there's a lot of, I would say, a lot of lack of trust uh, on both sides and just an uncertainty as to how to proceed um, because of the shutdown, the shutdown part one, and then possibly facing uh, shutdown part two. Uh, on February 15th. Yeah, right. You know, our Miranda Warnings podcasts are, are timeless. Uh, they're for the ages. And, you know, we could send one of these out into uh, into space so people can, uh, years from now, would know uh, what we're going on and we'd still be relevant. But we are right now between uh, two shutdowns. We've kind of got a shutdown sandwich here where we are. 
And uh, so, but the Congress was passing uh, legislative proposals in, in the, during the shutdown, I guess just not ones that required appropriations. Correct. They were doing some to try to end the shutdown, um, which they could not get consensus in both bodies. And then they were also doing some just single house sort of pieces of legislation going forward for the next year, not having to do with uh, appropriations. Correct. Right. And then so we've now we've got a new speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi. And yes. I think I think regardless of how you uh, whether you like Nancy Pelosi or not, or whether you agree with her positions on things, I think you would have to agree that she has handled herself really remarkably over this uh, past month during the time that she's uh, now served as uh, speaker again. Uh, what are your thoughts on that and how she's handled herself? Absolutely. I mean, she pulled together a caucus of Democrats that a lot of them were new. Um, and if, even of the ones who were there before, they had not been in the majority before. So it was really a new territory for a lot of people. And she kept people together uh, and, and she has been steadfast in her her opinions and keeping the caucus together. And I think that's, that's quite an accomplishment in this very turbulent times that we're having down here. Yes, and she has, an, she has an agenda, too, that she wants to not just be reacting to what's going on with the shutdown. She has come in with things that she wants to see this Congress achieve and address. And I I believe that she will continue to push forward on those. Yeah. What are some of those things that you think uh, the new speaker is going to want to see get through Congress in the upcoming year? So there are a few things that she has specifically highlighted, um, the first being ethics reform, uh, and that's part of uh, H.R. 1. And H.R. 1, it's a symbolic uh, title to have it be H.R. 1. It's the priority for, for the Congress. And it has to do with eth ethics reform, but also voting reform and things like that. Um, she's also talked about strengthening health care. Um, she hasn't given specifics really as to what that means. Are we talking prescription drug prices? Are we looking at Medicare for all? Uh, unclear, but she wants to look at look at health care. You know, remember, she was speaker at the time um, Obamacare passed. Um, right. So she has a lot of experience in the health care arena and on the debate around it. Um, she's also talked about addressing infrastructure. And historically, that's one of those issues that everybody in theory should be able to come together on. Right. Because it's not a partisan issue. Everybody uses the roads. Everybody takes a plane. Everybody goes on the choo-choo. Um, everyone should be able to come together on this. Uh, so everyone has very high hopes that this will get done each year. But the problems arise when you look at how to pay for it. And that's where the partisanship comes in. Um, whether you're going to do direct government outlays, are you doing some sort of public-private partnership, how you fund it is always the sticking point. But she has... Um, asserted that would be an issue she would want to advance this year. And then also, finally, uh, the gun, is gun issues. Specifically, they've introduced a bill, uh, H.R. 8. Um, this was introduced on the anniversary of the shooting of Congresswoman Gabby Giffords, and she was shot eight years ago. And this bill essentially would close loopholes dealing with uh, background checks. I so I would say those those are the main things that legislative items that sort of the Democratic leadership has been proposing for the start of the Congress. And some of those, particularly those uh, related to uh, gun control and gun violence, are consistent with the New York State Bar Association's 
policies uh, as well that we've advocated for in the past uh, with respect to, I know we have a report on gun violence that we've passed around to our, our Congress people uh, in New York. Let me ask you, uh, with the change uh, in leadership, um, have we seen uh, a greater influence by New York legislators uh, in the Congress? Oh, we definitely will. I mean, we look at, we have uh, New Yorkers in, in great positions of leadership. We have um, Nita Lowy, who's the chair of the Appropriations Committee, uh, Nadia Velasquez, who is chair of the Small Business Committee, Jerry Nadler is chair of the House Judiciary Committee, uh, and several other New Yorkers in, in prominent positions. So I think as we get underway in the legislative year, uh, we're going to see a lot of influence from New Yorkers. And that will, that will be great for, for the state. You mentioned uh, Nidia Velasquez, who's been uh, a very uh, uh, helpful and cooperative congressperson uh, in some of the work that we do, particularly involving uh, Puerto Rico. Last year, the New York State Bar Association uh, passed a resolution regarding the uh, Jones Act and the exemption uh, called for an exemption uh, to, from uh, by Puerto Rico to the Jones Act. Um, is there any uh, movement or uh, progress with respect to uh, that resolution? Not yet, not on that specific issue, but people are certainly looking at still ways to help out Puerto Rico in the wake of the storm um, in terms of other types of reimbursement, but I have not seen action yet on that specific piece. And of course, Congress, uh, Congresswoman Velasquez has been a, a great proponent of uh, providing support, uh, et cetera, for uh, Puerto Rico, and, and uh, we've worked closely, uh, I know, with, with her office. Absolutely. Uh, um, we've got a couple of other things on the uh, agenda in the upcoming year. I know um, we've, there's there's been some progress uh, even under uh, most recently regarding some of the uh, criminal uh, legislation that uh, the Bar Association has been proposing where we've had some success. Um, yes. I know uh, Congress recently passed the First Step Act. Tell us uh, a little bit about that and how some of uh, the New York State Bar Association's uh, policies uh, have been implemented. Sure. Um, support for criminal justice reform has been a priority of uh, the state bar for, for many years. And Congress has addressed the issue through various pieces of legislation over time. But every sort of the stars were aligned correctly at the end of last year to actually pull together a bill that could get both House and Senate approval and signed into law by the president uh, right at the end of the year. And there, there are many components to the bill, but particularly uh, of interest to the state bar and things we had been advocating for had to do with uh, reducing the mandatory minimum sentences for certain nonviolent repeat drug offenders um, and also giving judges greater discretion in the sentencing. So while there's still more to be done on criminal justice reform, I think this is a huge win uh, for all the advocates who have been so tirelessly working on this issue for, for years and really is uh, a great first step, uh, maybe even more than that, in, in 
in, in making changes uh, and improvements that, that were so desperately needed. But the state bar has been a leader on this, like I said, for many years um, and weighed in throughout the process and the different forms of the bills in both the House and Senate and then when it was going to the president's desk. So we, we were very pleased at the outcome of that and very happy. And there's a couple. There's uh, a couple other criminal justice reform policies that we've been pushing. One to reduce certain mandatory minimum sentences and also uh, sealing convictions in certain circumstances. Um, any thoughts on the potential for progress on those in the upcoming term? I, I think generally everyone's going to think, well, we got a win on that issue. Let's check it off the list and move on to other things. I think it, would, it may be a while before we Congress revisits some of those issues that were not addressed in, in the underlying legislation. Right. Well, uh, one of the things that's come up because of the shutdown has been the impact on the federal judiciary. Uh, as you know, the New York State Bar Association has been an outspoken supporter of uh, properly funded and independent federal judiciary that's not necessarily would not necessarily be subjected to the you know the vagaries of this uh, negotiation regarding the shutdown but yet they were and uh, federal uh, courts and federal court employees were impacted uh, and obviously that's of crucial importance to uh, the legal profession and to the bar association do you have any thoughts on on th legislation that might be able to be proposed that would prevent the federal judiciary from having to scramble in the future if there were uh, a shutdown uh, again? That's a tough question. Um, I mean, there's there's so many crucial agencies that were impacted by the shutdown, uh, not the least of which were the courts. Um, I think it just highlights the need for us not to be in this situation rather than looking for a carve out for, you know, another key sector is we just can't find ourselves in this position again. I mean, government funds essential programs for a reason, and we need to be able to to operate. Um, it, the the short-term funding is not workable for agencies, and it's not just at a macro level. Uh, I mean, this impacts people's daily lives. It impacts your ability to uh, you know, to go to court, to have your day in court. It impacts your ability maybe to get food stamps. We've seen it impacts your ability to fly safely with TSA. So I think all of these things just highlight the importance of having a fully functioning government. And we just can't find ourselves in this situation. And and yet we did. Um, and we found ourselves... And we may again. And we may again. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Do you think there's uh, there's going to be progress made? Um, are we going to are we going to be able to to come up with some compromise? Are you hearing anything that there's a, any room for uh, negotiation um, when someone says they want a wall and and the other side says we'll do you know just about anything but no wall? Um, right, right. So it's and, and kind of hard to be somewhere in the middle. When uh, is a wall not a wall? Right. Or a fence, um, fences are, right. are a possibility. I don't think the Bar Association has a position on <laughs> the wall. No. Yeah. Um, no, I, that's a problem. I think all sides have really backed themselves into a corner here. We've Everyone's taken a very hard-line stance. Um, and, I mean, the reason the, the shutdown is suspended, I won't say over, suspended for now, is because they realized it's almost like we needed a truce. 
and, and to take a little breather from it. It's not that we made progress on the underlying issues. You know, so when we come back on the 15th, the, the problems are still there. And yes, there are negotiations and discussions going on, but, you know, I, I don't see a lot of progress there. And I think maybe we'll know a little bit more um, after Tuesday, which again, not to put too much of a timeline on this, but right. the, the state, state of the Union will be next Tuesday rescheduled from this past week. And I expect that the president will make announcements about the wall and about how he wants to handle it. Um, and that may involve an emergency declaration, which could involve taking funds from one project and having an emergency declara- declaration to move them over to building the wall. We'll see how that plays out, but that may be his next move there. And then in terms of options for Congress, when it's emergency funding, they're, they're, they're limited in what they can do. Um, so we'll have to see how that see how that plays out. Well, let me ask you about that, because that's very interesting, because it's not something that's ordinarily used, the uh, emergency powers, uh, declaring an emergency and then taking funding. So what would happen in that circumstance would be that money would have already been appropriated for one thing, and then the president has the ability to declare an emergency and then use it for another purpose? Is that... Is that the concept? Correct. The, the concept is very vague, and I think it's it's purposefully vague because the idea is that Congress is moving slowly, the president can act quickly in the time of an emergency. Um, and, you know, where the checks and balances come in is a little, little foggy right now. But it, there's one scenario where he could declare an emergency and take funds away from one military construction project, which he deems no longer essential and put it towards another project that he deems essential to national security. Um, There's probably still a role for Congress in there to have a resolution um, to terminate this transfer, but the president could then veto it and then you'd have to have a veto-proof majority to override the veto. Okay. And, and again, th- this is all sort of hypotheticals. People, are, we haven't really been faced with this situation before, so people are looking back to previous times emergency powers have been used and right. trying to draw some comparisons. But it's difficult to, to, to sort of game it out right now because the previous times it really was an emergency, Correct. and uh, it was really in the everyone probably agreed that it was in the best interest to right. make sure that we got we got this done on a on a, on short notice and. And it's not something that was really ever used really as a as a political tool or or a hammer to get what uh, you might otherwise not be able to get. Uh, so right. we are I, I could, a little bit in uncharted territory. Absolutely. And I could definitely see that something ends up in the courts. And uh, that would be what Congress would say, that it's uh, unconstitutional to declare an emergency when uh, it's not an emergency? Is that what? I, 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 that would be my guess. But again, right. this is such – it's all sort of hypotheticals right now. So we've had other uh, issues that the, the Bar Association has been uh, continuing to push. Uh, one is uh, to support the right to counsel in immigration proceedings, and this kind of ties in with the whole – uh, issue regarding the wall and immigration that supposedly we have this uh, substantial problem regarding uh, illegal immigration into the country and we, we have procedures for whether people can claim uh, as- legally claim asylum uh, in our in our country um, and we have situations now where there's 
uh, not necessarily a right to counsel uh, for for all these individuals, some of whom are um, children uh, who are having to appear in court. Um, and since there's no right to counsel, sometimes have to appear, you know, three and four year olds are appearing. Um, and sometimes not only are they three or four years old, but they're also English is not their first language. And we have, uh, you know, substantial issue about people being detained and not being able to be properly represented. And um, has there been any progress on the right to counsel in immigration proceedings that the uh, Bar Association has been uh, a proponent for, for for some time? The State Bar has been a staunch proponent of this for, for many years, um, and I have not seen legislative movement on this in order to um, have a statutory right to counsel, to appoint a counsel. Um, and I think that that's it's a huge problem and it's, and it's just getting larger and it, you see it magnified in the faces of these children that are, that are showing up uh, in, in court and they, they don't have, they don't have counsel. And I know many lawyers have done gone above and beyond to volunteer time to go down to wherever to, to, to help, but it, there's not a statutory right to counsel. And I think that's where the problem lies. And we're seeing a lot of uh, volunteer attorneys uh, because of the, I think, um, new, uh, news that's been associated with this, that uh, the Bar Association and other Bar Associations are involved in providing pro bono assistance to many of these people that are at the border, some of whom um, have been transferred to uh, facilities in uh, New York State, uh, oftentimes uh, while they're being detained. And so New York State certainly has, has uh, and New York State attorneys have played a role in trying to assist uh, those that are, are facing uh, immigration detention, removal, and p- potential expulsion from the U.S. Uh, without counsel. So we are trying. It would be, I mean, it just seems to me that it would be uh, something that perhaps we can start on a small scale that that at least someone who is a minor um, would have the right to counsel in these types of situations because it just seems, you know, terribly unfair uh, and uh, unjust uh, to have a, a minor in this country that is uh, facing, you know, detention and removal uh, without the benefit of counsel. Uh, just right. And, and New York State attorneys have done an amazing job in pro bono in the last, you know, few well, for many years, but I'm thinking most recently with uh, the on the travel ban issues, on the crisis at the border now, also helping out the folks in Puerto Rico. Um, and I, I think it's great to we should acknowledge that this is something people are, are doing on their own and to also facilitate ways so people know how to volunteer. Because people may want to but not know where to go. Um, and I think the State Bar has been really doing a great job of, of connecting people to the need to make that happen. And one of the other, one of the other uh, thing, uh, policies that the Bar Association has been a longtime advocate for is the support for the Legal Services Corporation funding. And the Legal Services Corporation uh, promotes equal access to justice by providing funding to legal aid programs across the country, uh, including the legal aid societies uh, here in New York State, uh, throughout yes. the state. And, and uh, throughout the country, uh, we've we've been a proponent for increased funding of 
legal services. How does it look in the upcoming year for those fundings? I, I know it's difficult to say at this point because we've been, as you indicated, we've everything has been kind of placed on hold because we're in this, uh, you know, kind of standoff with uh, with the shutdown being on and off. Uh, but are you seeing any potential for progress there? Well, I mean, LSC is still not funded now. They're part of the one of the agencies that's in the shutdown. So we're uncertain for the current fiscal year, let alone going forward. Um, there has been no talk yet about a president's budget, which is usually uh, the president's budget sort of provides a baseline for all these programs. And then the House and Senate will sort of adjust from there. We haven't seen anything from the White House. And to be honest, I haven't seen anything from Congress yet either. Um, they're still trying to deal with you know, last year's appropriations mess before we get even get into next year. So we are falling behind on schedule here by usually by mid-March. Um, the House and Senate is actively looking at appropriations um, for all all agencies. Um, and the president's budget usually comes out early February. And so they've got about six weeks where they figure out sort of where they're going to make their recommendations and go from there. But again, n- none of that's happening now because of the shutdown. And is there a danger of uh, legal services uh, corporation funding uh, drying up uh, if this continues much longer? Yeah, I mean, I think they've, they've definitely got some, I would think, some concerns for this current year because they're they're part of the shutdown. I don't know when their individual funding will, will run out. But I think for going forward, I am optimistic for LSC funding because they have been in situations before where the president's budget has not provided very much funding, as in zero funding. Um, recommended, but both the House and the Senate um, under Republican control put back uh, the funding because uh, people, I really feel on both sides of the aisle, recognize the importance uh, of LSC and what it does uh, for their constituents in their communities. I mean, there's, like you said, there's seven LSC grantees in New York State that covers all of the state, and they assist seniors and veterans and children and the elderly and the low income and everyone can see the positive impact they have in their communities and and people do come together um, to support the issue but it's very important that the state bar continues to advocate and highlight the importance of this because there's so many important issues out there that are struggling for funding and we want to make sure that our voice is heard and and advocate for why we need this for not just for new york but for all states uh, throughout the country we're we're seeing that we do have now with a, a Congress and a and a Senate that's of uh, opposing parties. Um, are you seeing much cooperation between uh, the leaders of the Senate and leaders of of the House of Representatives um, to try to you know have a meeting of the minds? Well, I think it's interesting because the House and Senate, I think, have very different agendas for this Congress. Um, you know, we talked before about uh, the House agenda sort of advocated uh, by Pelosi. But looking at the Senate agenda, obviously, the Senate is still in Republican control. Um, and their agenda really is, and Mitch McConnell says this point blank, it's getting judges confirmed. Mm. Uh, Mitch McConnell, of course, is the, the leader in the, uh, the Senate. Um, that is their goal. Um, to fill federal judiciary vacancies on on all levels. Um, and we've got vacancies throughout the country. And they see that as the most important thing that they can be working on right now. Um, it has a lasting legacy. I mean, you think about you appoint someone to the federal judiciary that has a lot longer <laughs> lifespan than any piece of legislation that can be undone in the next Congress. Um, 
and and they recognize that and that is where they are putting their their focus. Um, it appeals to the Republican base, which is very important. They had um, Senate Republicans have 22 seats to defend in the 2020 elections. Um, and that is I, I so I see the action in the Senate being judiciary and the action in the House being more legislative and investigations, which is a power that the House has. So, you know, to answer your question, is there a meeting of the minds? It's hard when they're on, on, on very different tracks of what they want to accomplish in this two year session. Now, obviously, they're going to have to come together at some point on, on the things that have to get done, the funding bills. But beyond that, I see very divergent paths. Now, you mentioned investigations in the Congress. Uh, are you what are you seeing that might be coming forward as far as investigations go uh, uh, from this current Congress? Um, I expect there will be some. Uh, course, looking into any collusion with Russia, um, some of the some campaign funding issues. Um, I think they're also going to be looking at the separation policy for uh, migrants at the border, to separating children from parents, looking into what the origins of that was. Um, I, I expect to see, I mean, that's something that the House can do separate and apart from the Senate, right? It's, it's not legislation has to be enacted. You don't need the other body. You can just persevere with your agenda. And I expect there will be a lot of investigations um, through through many committees, Judiciary Committee, Oversight Committee, um, Financial Services Committee, all types of committees. Well, that's all certainly going to be uh, very interesting. I wonder if the thought is that, you know, by delaying things by through the shutdown, that perhaps that just um, puts such investigations uh, on hold while we're occupied with trying to fund um, our federal government? I think everything's really been on hold this past month, but I am starting to see some activity in the in getting ready for some subpoenas and getting, uh, getting some investigations going. Well, Hillary, I thank you very much for uh, both for the work that you do on behalf of the New York State Bar Association and also sharing your insights with us on the 116th Congress and some of the New York State Bar Association's federal legislative priorities. We have a feature here on Miranda Warnings called Music, Book, or Movie, where you can share uh, a, a musical uh, or any other kind of performance uh, or book or anything that means something to you. It could be related to this topic or it can be something uh, that's just personally meaningful to you. So do you have something that you'd want to share with us in that regard? <laughs> um, well, I'm just going to go with my favorite movie, Okay. It's Elf. Elf. Okay. <laughs> the 2004 movie. Um, it is just a happy, feel-good movie. And when things get very depressing in Washington, I like to turn that movie on regardless of the season because it just makes you feel good. And so how many times have you had to watch Elf over the last two years? <laughs> um, Do you just uh, keep yeah. it on a running loop? Do you keep it on a running loop for us? I keep it saved on our DVR <laughs> so I can just watch it whenever I want. And I have it on my iPad as well. So I have access to it both at home and abroad. Well, that's great. Thank you. Thank Whatever gets you through the day, Hillary, you're doing great <laughs> things and we appreciate it. Thank you very much. Hil Hillary Jockmans, president of Jockmans Consulting, uh, here on Miranda Warnings. Thank you, Hillary. Thank you. This has been the New York State Bar Association's Miranda Warnings for all things legal and some that aren't. <laughs>